Season 4 of Long Story Short is presented by Helping Up Mission in Baltimore. A car should never be a home. A street should never be a home. A Brighter Media Group original. What was that, man? I mean, three years? The fight, the lean-in, the finances, the moving, the moving back. The words, the prophecies, the encouragement, the, and then to see her depart the way she departed. I was like, what was that all about? Welcome to Long Story Short, a podcast about living an intentional life. I'm David Paul. The day after his wife Nikki died, Steve Feely started asking some hard questions. Four days after her funeral, he started searching for the answers. The beach was Nikki's place. Every year we would spend a week in Popson, North Carolina. And I, I said all the time, it was the one place that I would watch my girl sit and not do and on her 35th birthday i took her to a tattoo shop and on her wrist she got a little wave just on the inside of her wrist and in cursive underneath it it said home because she just felt that was home that's where she felt most at peace that annual beach vacation had been disrupted by the pandemic and nikki's battle with stage four cancer back in february nikki when we when we had gotten the the results of that scan that that said the cancer had gone just completely berserk she was in a really dark place and you know she was wondering if she was even going to be around for her 40th birthday and our annual beach trip that we take and after much conjoling me and the kids were like just book the house on you know if nothing else it's something that we know to hold on to to look forward to as winter turned to spring with summer approaching nikki's condition spiraled down quickly the Thursday prior to her passing, I can't believe we held on to it this long, but I mean, that's, that's where we were. We were just in total, like, I can't believe this is happening. The Thursday before she passed, it was, it was like, we can't go to that house. So I had, I had gone ahead and, and canceled it and just told them, listen, if you'll work with me with any kind of refund, that'd be great. If not, I hate for the house to go. Cause it was a really nice house because <laughs> it was her 40th <laughs> and she got a real nice house. So I said, you know, if there's anything to do for a refund, but if you can, it's a beautiful home. I hope you can rent it out. Five days after Steve canceled their beach house in Topsail, North Carolina, Nikki Healy passed away from stage four rectal cancer. She wrote letters to all the immediate family upon her passing, to her parents, to her brother, to her sister, to my parents, to my brothers, and then to us, to the four of us that remain, me, Bailey, Ryan, and Everett. She wrote all of us a letter for when she when she passed but then for like the kids she wrote letters for you know on your 18th birthday on your 21st birthday your first real breakup your first real job when you when you find out you're pregnant she 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 wrote them all a stack of letters and she she wrote me four one for when when she passed she specifically said you're tired steve and you you need to go away Please go to the beach. Please take the kids. Please cry together. Please hold each other. Please talk. Please go to the beach. The day after Nikki died, Steve contacted the rental company and found out the house was still available. Of course, 
They didn't know it back in February, but that original week at the beach would now start three days after Nikki's funeral. At first, I was really looking forward to it. You know, after that, that Wednesday, I thought, oh, that would be nice. You know, afterwards, it's kind of, well, just 24 hours later on Thursday, I'm coming up the road with my son getting his funeral suit. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like your mind just slowed down for 30 seconds and you're freaking out. How the heck are you going to go down to the beach <laughs> by yourself for a week and think? And I got I got scared. That concern about being at the beach, just the four of them with lots of time to think, never fully resolved itself before they left. Sammy, you know, told me, PJ told me, hey, you get down there and you're just not right or you need someone to come down there and let us know. I think everyone was eyes wide open a little bit with like, okay, you're going away. All right. Let's see how this goes. Sammy is Sammy Foster, senior pastor of Lighthouse Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland, where Steve is the executive pastor. I, I was concerned. I felt like it was a lot fast and a lot meaning that he was going to go to this massive home eight hours away and be there within his own echo chamber. And I know Steve went there to do work. I just didn't know if he had the capacity to do the work. And so I said, hey, if you get down there and you got to come back the next day, man, hey, don't think it a failure. You can only do what you can do. But Steve stayed the course and kept moving forward. He hit the first speed bump before they even left. All those prior beach vacations, Nikki took care of the packing. When it came time to get everything together, I, I her sister Jackie goes, goes to the same beach, just different time of year. And I reached out to Jack. I said, hey, do you have like a beach packing list? She's like, I got you. You know, things that, that sometimes dads don't think about, like don't forget um, Everett's nebulizer in case something happens down there or the allergy medicine, things like this. Um, and I wrote, wrote up, this is what I would pack if it was for my kid. This many shorts, this many this. Just the silly things that you don't really think about. And it was a lifesaver of a list that I just walked around my house like a like a scavenger hunt and put this stuff together and um we did really really well where we really did really poorly was food <laughs> i got everything we needed don't get me wrong we did we did well when we got down there we only went out to eat one time but there's no way my wife spent what i spent on food i, I was like oh i found out after the fact i was like this is why you don't buy name brand stuff <laughs> This this shopping cart's expensive, <laughs> so I learned I learned the hard way about how to how to food shop. <laughs> Friday, June twenty fourth, Steve and his three children, Bailey, Ryan, and Everett, headed off to Topsail, North Carolina. They took two cars. Steve and Everett were in the van with all the stuff. Bailey and Ryan followed in their dad's jeep. They left late morning to avoid the worst of the D.C. rush hour, which meant they didn't arrive until dinner time. So we just took that first night and just, you know, threw in some clothes and pieces in the oven, unpacked, and walked along the beach, watched the, as the sunset, they came up, you know, together, turned in a little early because we were all still pretty whooped and uh, we crashed out. When I got down and set up the beach that first day, 
um, which would have been, I believe that would have been Saturday morning. I did my devotional and I concluded that time by listening again to the last couple minutes of Nikki's word on grace in episode 10 of the podcast. And that actually would end up being what I do every day. But that first day, just hearing her voice, I I got done listening to her and I wept. And I, I think it was an ugly cry. And I was very grateful that it was 6.15 in the morning and I was the only chair on that beach um, for as far as the eye could see. What followed would change the entire tone and tenor of Steve Healy's Week at the Beach. I remember the thought came to me, okay, Steve, what would Nikki want you to do now? Like what, because the last thing you should do is come down to this beach and just cry in your summer shandy and just be angry and not, do something with it, not process it, not do the work. Do do the work, Steve. That's what I could hear, like in my head. Just do the work. Do what you don't waste this week. Steve started the processing with a question. What did he learn from Nikki? I would always leave the beach answering one question but leaving with another. You know, that after I wrote down all the things that she taught me, the next day I, I wrote that, well, how 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 is it that this person taught me all this? Like what? Why, why am I in such awe of her? Because, you know, we didn't have a perfect marriage by any means. We, we had a marriage like, like most people. There's good years and there's bad years. But, you know, we, in all of it, we, there, was, there was things I learned. So the next morning, starting at 6 a.m. while sitting on the beach, Steve followed that question and processed their marriage. I, I mapped out our marriage. I, I wrote, I put on a piece of paper and just turned it on its side every year, 02, 03, 04, and I I put the places we were and I put the the things that were happening and I put the emotions that were associated with those seasons and everything from just being an immature, egotistical, stubborn kid at 22, 23 and how Jesus, you know, truly broke me and, and broke her. And we had some decisions that we made in those early years. Do we stay or do we go? And we decided to stick it out and it wasn't all pretty, but by the time we got, you know, 16, 17, 18 years in our marriage, I mean, I wrote down where we were at in those seasons towards the end. And I wrote down words like sorrowful, wandering, losing, slipping away, growing closer, holding on, dying. And it, you know, I, I processed our marriage. While Steve was spending a couple hours on the beach every morning working through his questions and sorrow, the kids were also working through things themselves. Like I said, Nikki was a writer. She was a journaler, and she not only just wrote to herself, you know, journal for herself and Jesus and wrote us letters, but she, she going with each kid. She actually had two books with each kid. One book was a back-and-forth book where she would write a letter and give it to them, and they would write in it, and they'd hand it back. It was pretty cool. But then they, she also had these, she called them baby books, that she started uh writing in when bailey was born in 2004 and each kid had their own so one night we're getting ready for dinner and bailey comes busting out of her bedroom and she's got her baby her baby book and she's like yo i like slammed the book down i'm like what the heck is this and he's like what are you talking about i'm like you split up like, how come you never told me 
oh yeah like like two weeks back in norfolk she's going home <laughs> she's like what and and uh i was able to tell them the story about you know our marriage and, and walk them through all that so that, it was really it was really sweet the questions for steve each morning kept going a little deeper with everything that was put in our marriage the, the next day to go down there and be like it just seemed like such a waste to spend 18 years with a person where you finally are forged together. You, you're not arrived. You never do, but you're just, you just feel like there's a lot of good stuff in you and you have a lot of good stuff to give. And why to both her as a person and us as a couple, why God, why? It just seemed premature. It just seemed like a waste. Steve was reading in second Samuel about King David's mighty men. One of those was Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba, whom King David had an affair with while Uriah was off fighting for the king. In fact, David got Bathsheba pregnant. Well, that set off a series of events. Now, I've never really heard the story of Uriah the Hittite unpacked from his perspective. I just tried to look at it from his scope here was this man this man that was so faithful to his king and so faithful to his god and so loyal and so obedient and obviously so fierce in battle because he was one of david's mighty men that even when he was brought home when david tried to hide his sin and david tried to send him back to his wife and give him good food and get him drunk and be like hey go home to your wife man you're on a little r and r from the battles He was such a good man that he wouldn't do that. He would say, I can't leave. I can't go be with my wife and my brothers right now. So David would then go and and give him his own death sentence, essentially. Give him the piece of paper to say, when this man gets to the front, have everyone step back from the line so that he dies. And I thought about Uriah, and I thought about him at that wall. When he felt everyone pull away and he had to turn and look and feel just completely abandoned. In the very last moments of his life, he God allowed him to be betrayed, to be treated, cheated upon, to be lied to, to be manipulated, and ultimately to be murdered. And the only other place that you see Uriah the Hittite mentioned is in 1 Kings, where it says that David did all that was right in the eyes of the Lord and didn't turn aside from anything that he was commanded, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. The whole purpose of Uriah's life was him to endure that so as to show that as amazing as David was as a king, David wasn't Jesus, that we need a better king. We need a perfect king. God showed me in that moment, in that morning on the beach, this whole process, this whole, this whole journey with Nick, it wasn't about Nikki. This 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 narrative that continues is not about Nikki. It's about what God did through Nikki 
It's what God is doing through Nikki, and it's ultimately about who Nick served and who Nick pointed to. I've lost the person that matters most to me in my life, and I still have to wrestle with that question. <laughs> is that enough now for me to know that nothing on this side of glory can sit on the throne of my life, even as amazing as my wife was, is Jesus still my king? Thursday morning, um, the sky was like on fire as the sun was coming up. It was a beautiful, beautiful sky. And walked down there. The kids were quiet, but, you know, they got up. They had no, they, they were up and, and ready. We walked down there. I said a very brief prayer. I asked if they wanted to say anything. They said they did not. I walked out to the, the first edge of the breaker. I, I, I let what was left of her go in, in, the, in the ocean. When we scattered her ashes, that was really hard because to me it was like she's like completely gone. That was kind of just the solidifying of like it actually hitting me of like this person is now like no longer even here. Like you don't have anything. It was weird because I was like, I feel like I should feel more sad about this. Like this is mom's ashes. The sky was so pretty and the sunrise was like beautiful. She was where she wanted to be. She would have come back and kicked us if we buried her in Glen Burnie, Maryland. So um, I think the beach is probably the best call. <laughs> I came back in and uh, the kids went back up and I stayed on the beach that morning with the urn. And when my time, my quiet time on the beach was over, I took a handful of beach sand and I put it in the urn and I took off um, what were our beach wedding bands. I had worn them the whole week down there. It was actually, Nikki was so, emaciated towards the end that she couldn't wear her um, normal wedding bands and engagement rings. So she had one of those rubber bands that she would wear all the time. That was what she'd wear at the beach. I did the same. I had a little black uh, rubber wedding band and I would, I'd been wearing both of them on my wedding finger that whole week. I, I took those off and I put them in the urn, brought it back up and that was the end of that. If you're facing the loss of a loved one or an overwhelming challenge, the toughest part is often asking for help. In Baltimore, there are a lot of people who need our help. It's no secret that our nation's drug problem is especially bad in Baltimore, where it's estimated that one in nine people are experiencing addiction. That's 50,000 people. We call it a drug crisis, but it's really a crisis of despair. People are hurting, and they use drugs to numb the pain. But the consequences are devastating. Many are living in cars, or even on the cold and violent streets. 
But a car should never be a home. A street should never be a home. Helping Up Mission in Baltimore offers long-term solutions. Through their recovery program, people receive meals, shelter, counseling, and job training, helping people begin again. To give a hand up to someone in need, go to helpingupmission.org. That's helpingupmission.org. Stand firm. That's what the Bible instructs us to do. Stand firm. This season of Long Story Short is doing a deep dive on those two words found in 1 Corinthians 15:58. Pastor Jason Van Bemmel of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church in Maryland is joining us briefly each episode. He says hope is a crucial element to standing firm and points to another verse, Isaiah 40:31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They both speak to hope that is stronger than our circumstances. So in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a hope that is stronger than death. Death is swallowed up in victory by the hope of the resurrection. In Isaiah 40, God's people are in pain and in doubt because they've been they've been driven out of their homeland and they've been sent into exile. And they're asking, has God forgotten me? Pastor Jason says the answer is no, because we serve a God who is faithful. Whatever we're going through that has us feeling far from God or questioning why we are where we are and how long it's going to last and what God's purposes are for it, the answer is that the faithfulness of God, the love of God, and the strength of God are are greater. They're so much greater than whatever circumstance we're in. Every day. Every day was work. I would walk off that beach every day, whooped at eight o'clock in the morning. And in the last day, I finally got to a place. I said, okay, God, she was incredible. She taught me a lot, through a lot, through an incredible 18 years together. And you used her greatly and mightily. And I'm not going to understand how this all rolls out. Probably ever. But can you help me with one, one question? For most of Nikki's battle with stage four cancer, many people, including Nikki and Steve, believed God was going to heal her this side of heaven. People came forward with what they believed were specific words from God for Nikki and Steve. Before we go further, I fully recognize this is not a piece of theology every believer agrees with, that God is still giving specific words of knowledge for specific people in specific situations. Personally, I've belonged to churches that have landed on both sides of this equation, and candidly, I haven't fully resolved it within myself. But that's a different question for a different podcast. For this story, just know this was part of the dynamic at play. And Steve says some of these words that Nikki would be healed were easy to dismiss, but some were not. I mean, one guy, he stood in front of me and he shook and was crying. And he didn't want to tell me what he, because he felt the full weight of what he was telling me. He was, he was like, if I'm giving this guy, I'm out, he knew I'm out here on a very thin branch 
because I'm speaking to things that, and he felt that, but he couldn't, he could not unburden himself from keeping his mouth shut. He knew that to do that, he really felt he would be disobedient. And here was Steve's question. What is it that I interpreted wrongly? Because I'm hurting here. I'm really, really hurting. I want to get past this. But can you please help me? Steve wrote down several verses that morning. God will not be mocked. God is not a liar. And others. And then Steve wrote down all the specific times when people approached Nikki and him with encouragement she would be healed. Like the guy who was shaking because he understood the weight of what he was saying. And after a lot of time, I was initially taken to to one place in scripture and then uh, two others that would follow first is that first out of that verse out of habakkuk that's meant to be an encouraging verse that tells us though the vision tarry though the vision might not come when you expect wait for it it will be fulfilled it's it's something that i think we say as christians that i've said as an encouragement to people that are going through really hard and difficult times I know when I have said it, I, I have said it with, an heart, with a heart of encouragement. But there's a real depth to that verse that I, I didn't ponder on and think through until I sat there this morning on the beach. That, that verse does say that, but that verse also says on the front end of it that the revelation comes at the appointed time. It speaks to the end, meaning that God ultimately is sovereign and he determines when things happen. Along with that, you know, is, is the verse that we all stick to and I use all the time, the whole Jeremiah 29, 11 thing that says, I have a plan for you, give you a hope. And, and, and not to give you evil, but it's for good. And it, it's going to be a future. It's going to be awesome. The, the thing about that verse is that you got to understand that that verse, <laughs> that's spoken after he tells the people, hey, by the way, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. So that morning on the beach, I was able to, again, know, hey, all these words that were given us, that said, Nikki, when Nikki was told this was going to be your last Christmas with cancer, it proved true. It was her last Christmas with cancer. When, when Nikki herself wrote in her own journal, I felt I had a dream last night that God was anointing, God himself was anointing me with oil, and I was going, and I know I was being healed, and I asked him, when lord and god told her in that dream i'll you'll know when it's time immediately i was i was taken back to when she was on her left side as she was passing away and she was finally at peace and rest that i knew her suffering is over and she's in his presence steve came away from that time in scripture with a couple of thoughts one the timing is up to god and he often doesn't reveal when things will take place Second was a sober reminder to himself. I didn't have any animosity towards the people that said all those words because I think they truly believe them. It's just when it comes to those things, I was just once again reminded I got to be real careful when I say, thus saith the Lord. After his time on the beach wrestling with this question, Steve felt a release and also gained a deeper understanding that not everything can be fully understood, fully resolved. So I said, okay, Lord. I hear you. I'm just going to understand that I just, I just don't understand a lot. 
While Steve did a lot of work and a lot of processing each morning, they also had some fun as a family. Every day was like, it was just a really cool day with the four of us on that beach together. You know, the older two, they could sit on the beach, they're teenage girls, so they just want to sit and get sun. The boy, <laughs> he's never used to be down there without a friend, so I threw about 9,000 baseball. We put, we took our gloves down. I, my shoulder hurt so bad after the week I played catch all week with him. But we had fun on the beach, and we'd be down there all day, and we would come up off the beach, and uh, I'd cook dinner every night. The girls would help. Steve says there was a moment while they were out to eat one afternoon that provided some much-needed laughter. And we're sitting there, and it's just the four of us, and there was just a moment of silence, and uh, <laughs> Everett, <laughs> Everett being Everett, um, he didn't like the the, the, the pregnant pause, <laughs> breaking conversation, so he, he looked up at me and said, um, hey, Dad. I said, yeah, buddy. He said, um... Is it going to be like this for a while? I said, what do you mean, buddy? And he said, just like just the four of us for a while. Is it going to be just the four of us? And I knew what he was asking. But I wanted to make sure. I said, what, what are you asking me, buddy? What are you asking me? And he said, um, are you like going to get a girlfriend? <laughs> and Bailey and Ryan are sitting across from me. And I kick Everett under the table. I'm like, Everett, like you can't ask that right now. Like timing, dude. Like you can't, you can't ask that. And I just said, nah, buddy, nah. I said, I'm, I'm not, it's just going to be the four of us for a while, man. Um, I said, besides, your dad's, your dad's 41 now. He's pretty busted up. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be the four of us for a while. And, and just as an encouragement to me, one of my daughters, and I don't know which one said it because I was looking at you, she just said, well, you, you'd be surprised, dad. You'd be surprised. And without skipping a beat, <laughs> Everett says, what's up me? With full integrity and says, yeah, Dad, there's a lot of desperate people out there. <laughs> and, and, and Ryan looked at Everett and she just looked at him and she said, jeez, Everett. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> and, and Everett just said, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. <laughs> The concerns Steve felt before the week began were replaced by a different feeling as he and the kids got ready to head back to Maryland. There was a mix of gratefulness and dread. There was a mix of so much gratefulness for what that trip did for me, how it centered me. But I was fearful to leave that beach in that, again, reality was waiting for me back home. And I was very much dreading re-entering the atmosphere without my person. Because practically I knew you can't stay on a beach forever. This is life now. This is, the meal trains will stop. The, the parents will leave and you're going to have to do this alone knowing that that house was waiting for me our house two decades worth of memories her clothes were hanging up her her jewelry was still on her desk you know her, her our bed there was all all these things of her and i knew i was going back there i gotta face that now 
So that was the mix. It was gratefulness and just grief and dread. Long Story Short is a production of Brighter Media Group. John Lawhon is the executive producer. Special thanks to Todd Gaddy, Caroline Burke, Aaron Branham, and Laura Ahn. How did Steve begin to navigate that house and life itself without Nikki, going back to work, the kids back in school, and what we often refer to as a new normal? That's next time on Long Story Short. If this podcast is bringing you value, would you consider leaving a rating and review? These are important as others discover the podcast and are making a decision whether or not to listen. Your rating and review could be the difference maker between someone moving on or listening. Thanks in advance, and let's reconnect next time for Episode 8 of Long Story Short.